should already be in your Bibles in Revelation chapter 13. I want to start by saying that if you know your Bible, you know that the first book of the Bible is the book of beginnings. And the book of beginnings, it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And it takes us through all the new beginnings, the first, we might say, in the Bible. And even sin coming into the world and man falling to sin. And, but then we have the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We've been talking and we've been in this book for a while now, talking about the end of all things. And so we have the beginning and we have the end. And it's important for us to know both. We need to know what the end of all things will be. And for a number of reasons. One, because it readies our own hearts for the day, the coming day of the Lord. But it should also cause us to be uh, more aware of those that we know and those we come in contact that don't know Jesus Christ. Because there is coming that day that I believe that the Lord is coming back. The Lord is going to take those who know him to be with him. And so we ready ourselves. We become witnesses for Jesus Christ. Because I believe when I read my Bible that these things are going to come to pass just as we read. I titled uh, this morning's message, The Rise of Another Beast from the Earth. And in this 13th chapter of Revelation, we might say it's a chapter of a masquerade of deception. It's a, a chapter on deception that is going to come upon this world during the tribulation time. We've already started reading last week in chapter 13 about the Antichrist. And today we're going to talk about another beast that's going to rise up also during the tribulation period. We might call them the actors. And the actors that we see in this 13th chapter is first the dragon. And we know that the dragon is Satan himself. We have the beast, which I believe is made clear through a number of different passages, the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns is the Antichrist. And then this morning, we're going to look at another beast that is going to rise up that has two horns like a lamb. And we're told that he speaks like a lion, uh, excuse me, like a dragon. And so, who is the audience? We have the actors. And who is the audience for these actors? Well, we know from reading the book of Revelation that there's coming a seven-year tribulation period that is going to come upon this world. And so we have the world that is going to be the audience. We might really say of the world that these are going to be the earth dwellers that are going to be on this earth. In other words, those who have been left behind. Those who are not going to be raptured up. That are going to be left behind on this earth. They are going to be the audience. For these actors. This beast. That we're going to read about. Coming up out of the earth. I believe is the false prophet. He's going to be a religious leader. Again deception. In this chapter is, is much. I shared last week that these three really make up what we might call the satanic trio or the satanic trinity. We know that we believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead of our Christian faith, right? But the Bible here brings out that this God of this world the master, we might say, of deception comes on the scene with his own trinity that we see even in this chapter. I believe that this Antichrist that we read about in Scripture 
is something that we need to be aware of as Christians. We're told in uh, actually only in five different passages in scripture, we're told that an antichrist is coming. Now, actually we find that the word antichrist in the plural is used more times than the antichrist singular, but in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, John is the only one, the Apostle John, who was also being used of God to write this book of Revelation, he also wrote this in 1 John 2.18. He says, little children, speaking to us as Christians, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist, that singular, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists, that's plural, have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And so John makes it clear that there is coming a antichrist and that there will be many antichrists, I believe, in the last days. He also wrote in chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And so he gives a definition really of Antichrist. What is an Antichrist? One who would deny that Jesus is the Christ. One who would deny that he is the Father and the Son. He is Antichrist or against Christ. And then we read in 1 John 4, 3, he writes, In every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit, he, he defines it differently, this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so John, as he's writing this, there were already many antichrists that were creeping up in the world and even within the church. And then we read in 2 John verse 7. John writes this letter also. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. And then he says this, This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And so John was the only one that gave this terminology to this coming Antichrist. But he also said that there will be many Antichrist, and I believe even increasing as the time draws near. But the Apostle Paul, he also referred to the Antichrist in another way. He called him the man of sin. And the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And by the way, 2 Thessalonians, 1st and 2 Thessalonians, are the earliest letters that were written. And, and also the two letters that speak the most about end times events that Paul wrote. And so we read in 2 Thessalonians 2, he says, Let no one deceive you. That, those are key words. By any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. There's going to come a falling away. Different interpretations of what that could be. It could be the church in the latter days falling away from the faith, many within the church, not all, but many within the church. Uh, some have also interpreted the falling away as being the rapture of the church. However you interpret that, that this day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. He also calls him the son of perdition. The son of perdition is a title given here, I believe, to the Antichrist. It was also a title that was given to Judas Iscariot that uh, betrayed our Lord. It says this of this man of sin, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God 
or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, I've spent some time talking about the tribulation and the uh, middle of the tribulation period of the third temple. We call it the third temple that is going to be built during the tribulation period, that it'll be one where the Antichrist, at probably by the middle of the tribulation period, is going to set up his image within that tribulation temple, and he's going to show himself as God. He's going to demand that he be worshipped as God. Some have also interpreted from this chapter that both of these beasts that we read about are just a religious system. This is one interpretation. Or that it's a movement that is going to be happening during the tribulation period. But the problem I have with that kind of interpretation is that both of these beasts that we read about here, it appears that they have eternal souls and that both of them are going to spend eternity in the lake of fire and brimstone. So I don't believe it's a system that's going to be cast into the lake of fire in brimstone, but I believe that it is going to be Satan, the beast, and the false prophet that we read about. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, we read, John says, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon. The dragon is Satan. And out of the mouth of the beast. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. And so there's a distinction between the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, John writes, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. Here again, this distinction between the two. Who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceives them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I don't see this as a religious system. I see this as really two human beings that will be really one of them, the, the Antichrist, being possessed by Satan himself and the false prophet who will come alongside him during the tribulation period for one single purpose, to deceive as many people as he can before his day comes. Remember we read, for his time is short, that he knows that his time is short? I think we could say that this antichrist and false prophet are not going to be just heading up just a religious system. It won't be, but, but they are actually going to be two individuals that are going to, at, by the middle of the tribulation period, demanding that the earth dwellers, those who are still on this earth, are going to worship the Antichrist as God himself. I guess, and we'll see this, that... This false prophet, it appears that he's going to be the one rallying people to worship the beast. We might call him the worship leader. I was just looking to see if Kyle was going to lift his head. Just kidding, Kyle. He's like a worship leader. Can you get that picture? The false prophet coming alongside the Antichrist and really at a point demanding that people will worship the beast. Jesus warned his fellow Jews in John chapter 5, verse 43, he says, I have come in my Father's name, he told them, 
and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. You see, there is going to be a deception for the nation of Israel. There is going to be a deception for Jews. You see, Jews today and Orthodox Jews, they're still looking for their coming Messiah. They're looking for the man to come that is going to be their Messiah, that's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. And this is exactly how the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to come on the scene with deception. When we study our Bibles, sometimes the best way of seeing something, to see it clearly, is to see the contrast that we see in Scripture. Contrasts are important when you study your Bible. In John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 17, we're told that Jesus came to save the world. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It was his mission, it's why he came. The Antichrist, when he comes, we're told that he will bring devastation upon this earth. In the book of Daniel, going back to an Old Testament prophecy concerning, I believe, a twofold uh, prophecy in Daniel 8.23, we read, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. You see, Satan is going to be on all-out campaign to take as many people down as he can, and specifically against God's people, the nation of Israel, the holy people of God. Jesus also came to this earth as a humble servant. Actually, Pastor Kyle even said something of that in his prayer out of Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, it tells us that he was he made himself of no reputation. The creator of the heavens and the earth comes to this earth and takes on the form of a bondservant. He comes in the likeness of a man and being found in appearance as a man, we're told that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. How does the Antichrist come on the scene? He comes on proud. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul wrote this of him. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. You keep seeing this word deceive, deception. Don't let anyone deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, and then it says this of him, who opposes and exalts himself. You see the difference between the humble servant and the Antichrist who exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God. Quite the contrast. The Son of God and the Antichrist coming into this world. Jesus came as a lamb in John 1.29. Remember when John the Baptist was out baptizing in the Jordan? And Jesus Christ came walk, walking up to him and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And of this Antichrist, he comes up as a beast. We read last week in, in 13.1 that John says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. 
Jesus also came to do his father's will in John 6:38 for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me the antichrist is coming to do his own will in Daniel 8:24 his power shall be mighty but not by his own power remember that the antichrist is going to be given authority by the dragon the satan himself to do what he is doing jesus according to paul's letter to timothy jesus is the mystery of godliness he says without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest, manifested in the flesh. The Antichrist is the mystery of lawlessness. The mystery of godliness and the mystery of lawlessness. Do you see the contrast? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That he is the Holy Spirit, I believe, in the church, being taken out of the way. And when the church is removed from this earth and taken to heaven, then we're told the lawless one will be revealed. You see, and so the church, that's you and I that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we, by the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us, are really restraining right now the lawless one from coming on the scene. When the church is removed and the Holy Spirit that lives in us goes with us, the Holy Spirit will still be here because it's omnipresent, but the church will be removed. When the Lord, and it goes on to say, whom the Lord will consume, the lawless one will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one, we're told, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Quite the contrast. Everything that Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet will do has to do with deception. Has to do with coming on the scene and deceiving people. Jesus is the true God. In John 1, 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Antichrist is a false deity. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul writes, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You see, that's deception. And we're told in scripture that there are going to be many in this world that are going to be drawn to this deception. I think it's good for us as Christians to know our Bibles. It's good for us as Christians to be able to tell people the things that are going to come to pass. Don't you think it'd be really good to give people that don't know Christ heads up about what's going to come upon this earth? And let me get real specific with you. I can tell you some things very specifically that you can be looking for. That these things will come to pass. And when you see these Things come to pass. There's certain things that you must not do. Certain people that you must not make an allegiance to. Jesus, he did genuine miracles, didn't he? We read in Matthew 11 too, that when John the Baptist had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Remember John the Baptist after he was arrested and thrown in prison? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John, go back to John and tell him the things which you hear and 
the things that you see. He says, the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus was a miracle worker. And not just for the sakes of the miracles themselves, but they pointed to the fact of who he was, who he claimed to be. They all pointed to the fact that he was God in flesh. The Antichrist, the counterfeit, we might call him, he's going to have counterfeit miracles. In 2 Thessalonians 2.9 we read, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and then he says this, and lying wonders. Counterfeit miracles. Coming up with things that people will buy into the lie. You see, he has to come and try to come to the level that people will actually buy into the deception. Look at your Bibles at verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. But he spoke like a dragon. Sounds pretty deceptive to me. Like a lamb. With two horns. But he spoke like a dragon. These next eight verses in this chapter, they speak of the rising of the false prophet. And there's really five great deceptions that the false prophet is going to bring. The first deception that we read about here in verse 1, the false prophet appears on the scene like a lamb. Like, we might say, like a true religious leader. But he speaks like a dragon. John sees this beast that looks like a lamb with two horns. Now, remember back in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, when John was taken up into heaven, into that heavenly scene in chapter 5. We're told that he saw the throne room of God and he also saw on that throne a lamb as though it had been slain. But this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which we're told are the seven spirits of God, which I believe John at that moment in that heavenly scene was seeing Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world having these seven horns and seven eyes, which John tells us what they are, it's the seven spirits of God. You see, in Scripture, even numbers mean something. Even the number seven in Scripture speaks of the completeness. Completeness is a, a, the number seven. The number two in Scripture is the number of a witness. Notice that John uses the word another. In this verse, which in the Greek, it's a word that means another person or something of the same kind. And so you have the beast that comes up out of the sea and then you have another beast that comes up from the earth. And they're really two of the same kind. It's another beast. John sees this second beast coming uh, not up from the sea, but coming up out of the earth. Now, some have thought that the sea is always a picture of Gentile nations. And so some have thought and even interpreted that the Antichrist will emerge out of a Gentile nation. And then the land or the, um, uh, the false prophet here uh, coming up from the earth or the land, speaking about the nation of Israel. In other words, is it possible that this false prophet is going to be a Jew? That'd be interesting. One Gentile, one Jew, and both of them working together. The beast, John tells us, has this appearance like a lamb. It's like a lamb. 
but it speaks like a dragon. Jesus warned his disciples. I've taken you to Matthew chapter 24, actually many times, and we'll probably continue to go back to that prophetic chapter, Matthew 24. But Jesus said in that chapter, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Remember, chapter 24 of Matthew is all about the end times. Jesus giving his disciples what the signs would be before his return. He says that many false prophets will rise up and will deceive many. But also back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus warned, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Beware. And we can say that truth even for today. Beware of false prophets. And there are those false prophets that are alive and well and speaking forth things in the name of God today. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Here's the, the false prophet like a lamb. They come like sheep, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Paul warned in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, he says, For such are false apostles. They're deceitful workers. And they often transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Not everybody that says they're a pastor really is. Not everybody that says they're an apostle really is or a prophet. We have to, how, would, how do we judge them? Judge them by the word of God. What is the word of God said? That's what really determines if something is false or true. A second deception that the uh, false prophet will come on the scene with, just like the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth that we've read, who was sent by the Father, the spirit of truth was sent by the Father to testify of Jesus to this world. The Holy Spirit of God testifying of Jesus to this world. His Holy Spirit is working in the world even now. Testifying to this world that Jesus is the one. He's the one we need. He's the one that went to the cross. He is the one we have been waiting for. So the Antichrist will have his own witness. We'll call him a false witness, a false prophet. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the false prophet, will have his own false testimony, false spirit, Antichrist spirit. And he is going to be causing this earth to look to the beast, to turn to the beast and worship him as God. I don't, I don't know, if, and this has been around for a long time, Satan worship, but I mean, just watching the news the other day and talking about this guy that came on news and he's talking about how he's wanting to get this satanic club going in the school. Maybe some of you saw that. This guy looked evil, man. I mean, it looked... I didn't, he looked strange just looking at him on there, but just saying how he, he wants to get this law passed so that we can have equally a satanic club on school campus. Our enemy is real. This is real stuff. It's deception. And it's coming upon this world more and more every day as we see this day approaching. 
In John 15, 26, Jesus told his disciples that when the helper comes, the helper is the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, he says, he's the spirit of truth and who proceeds from the Father and he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. The false prophet, we're told, will come on the scene, not from heaven, but from this world, from this earth. And he's going to be pointing people who dwell on the earth to the beast. Quite the opposite of the work of the true Holy Spirit of God. Verse 12 says, and he, that's the false prophet, exercises all the authority. There's that word again that we read numerous times last week. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And we read about that last week. The deadly wound that the Antichrist is going to encounter at some point during the tribulation period and then be healed. And just like the first beast that was given authority by the dragon, so this second beast is also given authority and power in the presence of the beast. And this is important. He's going to have authority and power in the presence of the beast, of the Antichrist. And I think that this authority and power given to him in his presence is probably because if he did it outside of the presence of the Antichrist, then people would be turning their eyes to the false prophet. They'll be turning their eyes towards him because he's performing these miracles in their presence away from the Antichrist. But it says here that he will perform these things in the presence of the Antichrist because his mission as a false prophet like John the Baptist being the forerunner to Jesus Christ, the false prophet is going to be the forerunner for the Antichrist and point people to the Antichrist. You see how deceptive Satan is. We're told that the false prophet causes those who dwell on the earth to worship the beast. And it says the beast who was healed from his deadly wound. A miracle. The world is going to sit up and see this and worship the beast because of that miracle. You see, that's what he wants to do, to mimic. The de third deception uh, that we see in this chapter. In Revelation 11, we read about the two witnesses. Remember the two witnesses that were given power by God for three and a half years to go out and to preach the gospel? And God is going to give them power, we're told, to call fire from heaven, power to stop the rain, power to turn the waters into blood, and to strike the earth with plagues, as often as they desire. That's the two witnesses that are sealed by God during the tribulation period for three and a half years. The false prophet who looks like a lamb. We're told he also performs great signs that will draw people into the deception. And then after they're drawn in, he tells them that they need to worship the image of the beast. Again, back in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus said this to his disciples. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders. And then what does he say? To deceive. If possible, even the elect. 
even the elect, and I believe he's speaking of his own people, Israel, that he will show great signs and wonders. Why? Because every Jew was looking, when the Messiah comes, he would perform these things. They're going to be looking for this man. They're going to be looking for these things. And that's what's going to create the deception in this world. And can you even hear the false prophet? How he is going to have these deceptive words. Or he might even be saying something that, you know, these Christians that were here on this earth, those that are no longer here, those that are gone, good riddance. Good riddance to them. You see, the false prophet is going to want people to worship the beast. And I, I just recently, I don't know if any of you saw this too on the news, I saw this one woman that was so upset over the Roe versus Wade and the, the, that being overturned. And these were her words. This is what she said. She was so upset. This is an actual interview with her. She says, I hope the God of these people will just come and take them out of here. Now, what a strange comment. She knows something about the Bible. But she was so infuriated that she would just say, I wish their God would just take them all out of here. And I will tell you that there are many people in this world today that wish you were God. That wish you weren't on this earth. And they'll be actually happy when the church is removed. Great signs and wonders to deceive. We read in this chapter three times about the Antichrist being healed. And so it's significant for it to say that three times in this chapter. Healed of a deadly wound. So that the whole world begins to worship the beast. That's the deception. Revelation though 13.3. It tells us that I saw one of the heads. As, it, as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled. And followed the beast. You see he's got to come up with something like that. To get people to marvel, the world to marvel, to see it on CNN, to see this happen, him to be wounded to death, and his mortal wound to be healed. Revelation 13, 12. And he exercises all authority of, of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Revelation 13, 14. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived three times. It's significant. It's going to be a significant, deceptive miracle that is going to cause many to think this is the one we've been waiting for. We also read in verse 13 that the false prophet is given power. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. As believers, we're to exercise faith in Christ. We're to exercise faith in Christ based upon the scriptures what we read about in the word of God. We don't base our faith upon experiences, do we? 
You see, your faith, your salvation should be based upon the truths that you find in the word of God. Not based upon an experience that you once had. Experiences are okay, but that's not the proof of your salvation. The true, the true proof of your salvation is found in the truths of God's word. People get that backwards, though. There are people even today in various churches that look for the experience. They look for the miracle. They look for this, and, and they're really shallow on truth. We need to know our Bibles and know it well. We need to know that signs and wonders will follow, but they're not what we look for. This world is going to be looking for those signs and wonders of deception. We see the false prophet telling the earth dwellers to make an image. To make an image to the beast so that you might worship that image. Those who dwell on the earth by their signs. Back in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus said this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, who's he speaking to in this chapter? He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. He's telling his fellow disciples, the Jews, he's giving them an answer for what it'll be like before he returns to this earth. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, when you see him standing in the holy place, that third temple, that tribulation temple, whoever reads this, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That was the warning that Jesus gave to his disciples. And here we are reading in the book of Revelation about the beast and the false prophet and setting up that image so that they would be commanded to worship him as God as he puts his image within that tribulation temple. It's an idol. It's referred to as the abomination of desolation. And it's going to be sitting in that tribulation temple for those last three and a half years. A turning point when the Antichrist is going to demand that he be worshipped as God. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 concerning the Antichrist he says who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. You see, that's what Satan's always wanted, isn't it? I want to be like the Most High God. But you can't. You're not. But that's what he wants to be. The fourth deception is that he grants power to the false prophet to give breath to the image of the beast. I don't completely understand this, but look what it says in verse 15. He, the false prophet, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be what? To be killed. This is serious stuff. Granting power to give breath to the image. Now, the word breath there is actually the Greek word pneuma. It's actually, if you were to take it and compare it to the Hebrew word back in the book of Genesis, it tells us that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. And so somehow, in some way, whether deceptive or whatever, it appears that this beast is going to be able to cause this image to even mesmerize the people in some way to speak. Some have thought it's a big computer system. You know, you got all kinds of people have all these things. But all I do is I look at it and I say, you know what, Lord? Something is going to happen in this temple. Something of significance that's going to deceive the world as they watch this transpire. 
these two witnesses that were killed back in chapter 11 of Revelation, their testimony, uh, that they're out preaching the gospel. And after laying in the streets dead for three and a half days, we're told that the breath of life entered into them and they became a living soul. Brought them back to life. The witnesses killed. Here's the false prophet. Here's the Antichrist trying to mimic, deceive what has even maybe already transpired by this time. What's interesting is one of the last and greatest miracles that we read of in our Bibles, right before Jesus went to the cross, was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And the rising up of the Antichrist, or this miraculous healing of his mortal wound, might be the greatest deception of the false prophet that he's going to bring out to this world. And multitudes of people are going to believe the lie. This is it. Nobody's ever done this before. Though it has, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But he's going to come on with all power and lying wonders and deception to deceive many. And then in verse 15, he was granted this power to give breath to the image of the beast, that image that he should both speak and cause as many to worship the image, be killed. And so this deception ultimately, I believe, is that people would be killed. You see, our enemy, the devil himself, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the heart of Satan. That's what he wants to do. The deception five. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark. To receive a mark on their right hand or in their forehead and no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. We've all heard that. This world, is, you see it everywhere. You know, People always talk about the 666, mark of the beast. But it's interesting that Jesus marks his witnesses to protect them. That no one can hurt those two witnesses. And here is the great deceiver coming up with a mark that is going to be on the right hand or the forehead of everyone who will make allegiance to the beast. And really that's what I believe it is. Somebody taking the mark of the beast is when they make an allegiance to the beast himself. When they begin to worship him as God. They've really all, at that point, they have set their course. There's no turning back. There's no, it's, it's make it like making allegiance to Satan. That they will worship him. We'll close and we're out of time here, but we'll get into that more. Uh, it'll, we'll go through the holidays uh, here, uh, Christmas and New Year's, and we'll get back to, we're going to talk about the mark of the beast and some of the things that uh, are related to that. But verse 18, we close with, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. We'll get into that more, of what that uh, is and what that will look like. And so read ahead in your Bibles. Go ahead and, and read ahead of me. I hope that you are all becoming stirred and excited over the fact of Christ's return. Not shrinking back and being, you know, man, this is all scary stuff. It is scary for those who don't know Christ. But for those of us that know him, 
There should be a rejoice in our heart. We're being told right here exactly what's going to come to pass. Look for opportunity to share your faith. Pray much for those who don't know the Lord. And look for opportunity. And so um, I'm going to ask uh, Kyle to come up. Uh, I'm also going to ask, uh, and, and I saved this till the end because I didn't want to have it on your mind in the beginning, but I'm going to ask that uh, Scott, and I don't know if Kim's coming up with him, but I'd like to ask uh, Scott and Kim to, to come up. Almost 12 years ago, we started as a church. And Scott and Kim were some of the beginning couples that came along to our church when we were in the high school meeting. And they became a part of our church at that time and they began early on to begin to serve in our church. They faithfully served in our church and it came to a place where as we were seeing and I was seeing the need for more leadership in our church that I asked Scott if he would, and Kim also, if they would pray and that he would pray about being an assistant pastor here in this church. And after praying, he accepted that and, and on no, no, uh, November 20th of 2016, um, we ordained Scott as an assistant pastor here in this church. And a few weeks back now, Scott had approached uh, myself and Kyle and told me that him and Kim had been praying and that they both um, really feel that the Lord, their time here at Calvary Chapel was coming to an end, uh, that the Lord was going to move them on. And um, these are hard things. These are things that, that I don't like to hear. I don't like to hear any one of you leave. But we have come to love, and I, those of you that know Scott and Kim have come to love them. They've served faithfully in this church uh, for all of these years. And um, I do not, uh, you know, I, I look at them both and I say they are precious people to this church. But they have to follow the Lord's leading, and that's what they believe that they are doing. And so I asked. Scott uh, and Kim both to come up and to let Scott share with you. I want you to hear from him, whatever he wants to share with you on that. But just know this, uh, they are loved. This is a hard part, uh, departure. Uh, we have eternity together uh, and that we know. But um, anyway, I'm gonna have Scott share and then uh, Matter of fact, you can just close out the service with prayer. Uh, go ahead. There's um, really only one word that I can use to sum this up, and it's bittersweet. Um, try to get through this. Um, I want to tell you from the bottoms of our heart, we love Greg and Kathy. We love Kyle and Heather. We dearly miss Bruce and love Carolyn. And... Um, Having to share this with them has been a very challenging thing for us, but we've spent many months in prayer over this, and are, are no doubt we, we have a peace that God's calling us to do ministry in another place. And uh, there's a lot of questions we still have in our minds. We would appreciate your prayers in that as we God continues to reveal that to us and we get a, a bigger, clearer picture of that. But we also love each one of you. There are so many relationships here, some shorter and some longer, but they're all precious to us. We love you very much, and none of that's changed. That's part of what makes this difficult. But the sweet part of this, I feel, is important to share, too. Um, as Greg said, almost 12 years ago, we came along here, and we really, at that time, were stepping out in faith, too. God had called us out of a place to, to go somewhere else and very quickly found our home here for the last 12 years. And if I go back 12 years, as I told Pastor Greg, the, the blessings of being able to serve here in the capacity we've served in, the relationships, the people are something I couldn't imagine. As I shared with Greg and Kyle when, when I made this known to them, 
that if you'd have told me 12 years ago I'd be where I am now, I'd have probably laughed off on the floor. I just couldn't imagine what God was going to do with Kim and myself here, um, missions trips with David and Hannah, just so many opportunities that I look back on, just blown away by the blessings. And the sweet part of it is that I look forward and say, if God's done that, what's he going to do next? There's an anticipation there that, you know, if God's done that already, what else is he going to continue to do? God's not through here at Calvary Chapel Fellowship by any means. He's doing a work in each one of you, and he wants to use you. And if I leave you with anything, it's going to be step out, just follow him right here. There's work to be done here. There's no end in sight to the work here. There are plenty of people right here that need to be ministered to, too. Um, we, we have to follow and go where he's showing us, but I would ask you to do the same. You, you can't imagine five years from now, ten years from now, what he wants to do with you unless you're open to that leading and willing to step out. So we love you guys very much. We're continuing to pray for you. Greg and Kathy know we want to be able to continue to get together with them and Kyle and Heather and anybody else here that needs us. So we love you guys. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of this body. Lord, we thank you for the relationships that we have here, the brothers and sisters, Lord, that we'll, we know now, but we'll spend eternity with. Lord, we just ask that you'll continue to bless each one of them, Lord. Continue to knit every member of this body together in the perfect image that you represent in your Bible, that perfect image of the church, Lord, that Paul wrote so much about a unity of mind, Lord, a unity of spirit, Lord, working together to accomplish your will. Lord, and use them as lights to this community. Continue the, the work that you've started here, Lord. It, it only grows as time goes on, Lord. Just pray that each person here would find their spot as the hands and the feet here, Lord. And that you, Lord, continue to save people, minister to people, disciple people right here in this community. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.